0: Welcome back to the program. As sports stories go, the legendary rivalry between the Giants and the Dodgers is one of the best and most enduring. Yet it's a rivalry that has had its dark and ugly moments. One of those moments came a couple of years ago as Giants fan Brian Stowe was attacked and beaten in the parking lot at Dodger Stadium. A sad incident that perhaps reflects the mean-spiritedness of our time. Another ugly incident was back in 1965. It had a better outcome one where the rivals Juan Marischal of the Giants and John Roseborough of the Dodgers would turn to violence, a violence that reflected the tensions of the time, yet it would also turn to forgiveness and redemption. That's the story that my guest John Rosengren tells in The Fight of Their Lives. John Rosengren is an award-winning author of eight books, including Hank Greenberg, The Hero of Heroes, and it is my pleasure to welcome John Rosengren back to this program to talk about The Fight of Their Lives how Juan Marichal and John Roseboro Turned Baseball's Ugliest Brawl Into a Story of Forgiveness and Redemption John, thanks so much for joining us
1: Well, you're welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's nice good. to be
0: back It's good to have you here. Let's talk a little bit about the context of the time This incident that we're going to talk about happened in August of 1965 Talk a little bit about the state of baseball, the state of the world at that point Particularly as it relates to the Giants and the Dodgers
1: It was definitely a different time. Um, The Dodger and Giant rivalry was perhaps at its most intense. Um, They had just moved to the West Coast the previous decade and carried the rivalry with them. Some thought it might uh, diminish when it got out to California, but actually, the nature of the two cities, San Francisco and Los Angeles, being so different, um, it seemed to intensify the rivalry. Those games were games the players never forgot. In '65, the two teams were locked in a tight pennant race, and uh, Fateful day when Marshall and Roseboro had their fight was the fourth game of a four-day series with Marshall and Koufax um, uh, in a marquee matchup. But backing up a little bit to look at uh, society as a whole, you know, the 60s were obviously a turbulent time with the civil rights movement and the protests over Vietnam and people just challenging the status quo. And for Juan Marshall, a Dominican, he had a special interest to be Uh, nervous and worried and anxious that summer because there was a civil war being fought in his home, uh, the the Dominican Republic. President Johnson of the United States has sent over 20,000 U.S. troops down there, and Marshall was watching on the evening news the violence in the streets of Santo Domingo, nervous about his family's safety. They uh, didn't have a phone on the family farm, and so he'd write a letter, take a week to get there. It took another week to get back, obviously in the days before email. And so he was so worried about his family's safety, he was physically ill. Um, Willie Mays, his teammate, said Marshall Soto Strade shouldn't be playing baseball that summer. John Roseborough, a black man living in south-central L.A., was also on edge. He, from Dodger Stadium, he and his teammates watched uh, Watts riots the week before and could see the smoke from the burning buildings um, while they were playing baseball, Mark uh, Roseboro asked himself, "You know, why are we playing baseball at a time like this? There are more important things." He wanted to do what he could. He managed to hire a bus to get some kids out of that neighborhood to come down to Dodger Stadium for a game. But he was very on edge. And uh, one night, the protesters uh, were going to be marching down the road in front of his house, and he sat out on the front stoop with a gun. He was a gun collector to protect his house. He was that, you know, nervous. Turns out they took a different route, but. That's how personal the Watts Riots had been for John Roseboro, and so both these men were on edge, afflicted by uh, the upheaval in society at the time, and those tensions spilled out out onto the ball field that fateful afternoon.
0: Right, and the racial tensions in Los Angeles were reflected in some ways within the racial tensions on the team, on the Dodgers themselves.
1: Yeah, the Dodgers had um, obviously been the first team to integrate when Jackie Robinson joined them in 1947, and they had a, a large contingent of African American players like Maury Wills and Jim Gilliam and, and John Roseboro. And yet they um they bonded pretty well and, and the tensions when Roseboro went to other teams later he said that there were higher or there there were more racial tensions, say on the Minnesota Twins or on the Washington Senators. And that the Dodgers seemed to coalesce or gel pretty well. It was the Giants who really had the racial tensions. There was a group of Latinos like Marshall, Orlando Cepedo, the Alou brothers, and then there was the group of African Americans like Willie Mays and Willie McCovey, and then the white players, and they seemed to be a little more segregated in the clubhouse, to the point where Alvin Dark, the manager, um, had banned Spanish from being spoken, which was just absurd. When you tell two brothers they can't speak their native language, they have to speak a foreign language. Um, But it was part of that Uh, ignorance, I think, in society that caused us or people to fear what was different. And, uh, you know, there were players who said, when they're speaking Spanish, we think they're talking about us. Well, that's absurd, too, but that's how it played out. And it's got to the point where Alvin Dark made his famous comment in 1964. He's the manager of the Giants, and the Giants were slumping that year. He said, you just can't get Negroes and Latins to care about the game as much and to play as hard as white players. (laughs) It was just crazy. But it reflected the attitudes of the times, the prejudice against African-Americans, and dark-skinned Latinos.
0: Talk a little bit about this game on August 22, 1965. Marshall was pitching, Roseboro was catching.
1: Right, uh, obviously for different teams, but there was um, a lot of tension that had been brewing throughout the season. And then in the previous three games of that four-game series, there had been tension between the two teams. At one point, Marshall had yelled at Roseboro from the dugout and Roseboro sent a message back to him through a, a couple different means saying, if you don't shut your trap, I'm going to get you. Well, uh, in that game on Sunday, August 22nd, um, Marshall had knocked down two J- Dodger batters. Sandy Koufax had thrown a ball well over Willie Mays' head to send a message. The umpire had warned both teams, hey, any more uh, brushbacks, and the pitcher's ejected. Marshall came to bat in the bottom of the third inning, uh, Rose, or they knew that the baseball's code called for Koufax to put Marshall in the dirt with an inside pitch, but because they didn't want Koufax to get ejected, Rosebow Rose said, let me take care of it. He called for an inside pitch, deliberately dropped the ball, took a step inside and threw the ball back to the mound right past Marshall's face. Marshall said it went so close it nicked his ear. Marshall was understandably stunned. I mean, this could have killed him. You know, a guy throwing a ball from three feet away at, at the back of his head. So he turns, and then he sees Roseboro coming out of his crouch. This man has threatened him already in his full catcher's gear, who's got a reputation for being one of the toughest guys in baseball. And Marshall, understandably, is frightened. He takes a step back and swings his bat down in self-defense. Now, it doesn't in any way excuse Marshall from hitting Roseboro in the head with his bat. Nobody should do that. I mean, every mother will tell you, don't hit him with your bat. But... It helps us understand, I think, the fear that Marshall felt in that moment and how he acted impulsively um, to protect himself. Um, And as a result, we brought the bat down. Uh, Fortunately, he didn't catch Roseboro squarely in the head. It was a grazing blow, but it was enough to um, give him a slight concussion and and open a two-inch gash and touch off a 15-minute brawl and, of course, uh, caused an incident that stayed with these two men forever.
0: Talk a little bit about the brawl, the way the other players came into it.
1: They immediately jumped in. I mean, Kofax came off the mound. He was probably the closest because Roseboro and Marshall sort of moved out toward the mound in front of home plate. And Kofax came in, but he was afraid of the bat uh, that Marshall was swinging and and didn't want to get hit himself. Um, the third base coach came in. Uh, Tito Fuentes, who was on deck for the Giants, came running in. He had a bat in his hand, but. I think it was more he just forgot to drop it rather than he didn't use it as a weapon or anything, and eventually he did drop it um the The players rushed in off the benches, they came in from the field Lou Johnson came sprinting in from the outfield, and they they all kind of dived into it. The main concern was getting the bat from Marshall or getting Marshall calmed down. Roseboro landed one good punch, but it was you know Marshall with his bat, and finally Shag Crawford was able to kind of work his way behind him and grab him. Shade Crawford, the home plate up, and he pulled Marshall down, but then uh, there were guys jumping on Marshall, trying to get him, and Marshall was kicking his spikes, and finally Willie Mays grabbed Roseboro and pulled him away so the trainer could tend to the cut on Roseboro's head. Roseboro took uh, got the, the blood uh, cleared off for a moment, but then dashed back to get at Marshall again, and then Preston Gomez, the Dodgers uh, third base coach, got him, and and pulled him away, but it was, went on for 14, 15 minutes with guys, you know, uh, first trying to break it up, and then trying to, uh, you know, get swings in, and, and just being, um, I think, really caught up in the moment, and uh, angry, and scared, and, and bewildered, like Shane Crawford, the umpire said, he couldn't believe it, he said, did that just happen? Did I just see a guy hit another guy in the head with a bat? It was so unheard of, um, but I think, you know, there too, it reflected that that summer of fury, that the times, and just the craziness of those days.
0: How did the brawl finally come to an end?
1: Well, they got Roseboro off the field, got Marshall off the field, and things kind of dissipated. And the police then ringed the stadium or the inf- infield. Um, like you might see these days, between innings, they were standing you know, all throughout the field because the, the big fear was that there was going to be a riot with the mob coming out of their stands. Um, and they managed to, to finish the game. But Koufax was so rattled, he ended up giving up a home run to Willie Mays which uh, proved to be the, the difference in won the game for the Giants.
0: Talk a little bit about how the league viewed this and, and what ultimately the punishment was, and it was far less than a lot of people wanted.
1: Right. There were many people who thought Marshall should be banned from baseball, that you know this sort of thing was completely inexcusable. Then, of course, there were some Giants fans who, who went so far as to say, well, the Dodgers had it coming. They've been throwing at our batters all the time. Pointing to guys like Don Drysdale, who was famous for hitting batters. But um, president, the National League president, Warren Giles, uh, obviously was concerned about this, uh, suspended Marshall for eight playing dates, and fined him a then-record $1,750, which would be roughly equivalent to about $60,000 um, of Tim salary, you know, star pitcher for the Giants of today by... Uh, percentage-wise comparison but the the big thing was the suspension because Marshall had been having a great year and he was on pace to win the Cy Young award and to have him out of the lineup the Giants faltered a bit the uh, Dodgers also faltered at the time but uh, Sandy Koufax came on very strong at the end of the season and when Marshall came back he wasn't quite the same pitcher that year and uh, the diet, Dodgers ended up overtaking the Giants and winning the pennant and, of course, going on to win the 65 World Series. So some say that that suspension actually uh, cost the Dodgers the pennant.
0: Talk a little bit about what happened over time to the relationship between Marischal and Roseboro.
1: In the immediate aftermath, Marshall was you know, um, instantly sorry and regretful for what he'd done, and it was completely uncharacteristic of Marshall. He was a devout man who uh, prayed the Psalms every m- morning. He wore a medallion of the Blessed Virgin, carried a picture of St. Anthony, the peacemaker, in his pocket, went to Sunday Mass. Even when his team was on the road, he'd find a Catholic church where he could go to Mass. So Marshall, he was a competitor, but he was not a violent man, and, and he immediately regretted what he'd done, knew he'd done something wrong. He knew he'd been provoked, but he also knew you know, wasn't okay what he'd done, and he, he felt enormously guilty, and it weighed heavily on him. Rosebrah, on the other hand, was outraged, was not willing to admit his part in the incident, that that he had provoked it. He um, said, you know, just give me 10 minutes alone in a room with Marshall. That should be his punishment. He actually sued Marshall for $110,000. Years later, they settled for $7,500. But uh, the, the press, in particular in the photographs, portrayed with uh, Marshall is the villain and Roseboro the victim. With Mar- Marshall, you know the bat raised above his head in the famous photo that many of your listeners have seen, and and Roseboro seemed to to conform to that role of the victim. But with time, the guilt wore on uh, or worked on Roseborough as well. And when he wrote his autobiography in 1978, eight Four Days with the Dodgers, he admitted his part in it. He he came flat out and said, "I provoked the incident by throwing the ball." Close to Marshall's face, and he said, "I was ready to tear him apart." So that opened the door for these two to um, reconcile. And uh, when De- Marshall became eligible for the Hall of Fame five years after retiring, in the first vote, he he didn't get in. He had the numbers to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he he didn't get in because his reputation his reputation had been tarnished by this incident with Marshall. The second year, Marshall didn't get in. Bill was trying to overcome the the bad rap against him because of having, him having Club Mar- Roseboro. Well, he ended up calling Roseboro, who then was running a PR agency with his wife in Los Angeles. He said, "Johnny, listen, I'm sorry. I apologize. I need your help." And Roseboro said, "Okay, I forgive you. Um, what can I do?" Uh, Marshall asked Roseboro to lobby on. His behalf, Roseboro did, which included going down to the Dominican to play in a golf tournament that Marshall organized. And uh, as a result, the next year, Roseboro got it, sorry, Marshall got elected to the Hall of Fame. One of the first calls he made was to Roseboro, and he said, uh, Johnny, I did it, I'm in. And uh, the two of them broke down and cried. It, so it was a very touching moment, uh, a meaningful moment for both of them.
0: What was the broader impact on black and Latino relationships within baseball as a result of this? Well, both
1: um, African-American ballplayers and dark-skinned Latinos had suffered great prejudice at the hands of Major League Baseball. And uh, I think many people, kind of the untold story is of um, what dark-skinned Latinos went through. I mean, Jackie Robinson's story has been well told and, and it's been well documented the way that African-American players weren't allowed to stay at the same hotels or eat in the same restaurants, particularly in the South. Um, their wives had to sit in different sections. Well, dark-skinned Latinos suffered all those indignities as well, in addition to being viewed as or criticized or derided as being, and um, as stupid, because many of them didn't speak English. Now, they weren't stupid. They just didn't speak the second language. Um Also, coming from another country, it's hard to pick up on social cues and uh, nuances. And so, um, you know, sometimes they suffered with that, too, the the, uh, um, acculturation into American society. But what happened was, and they got portrayed as sort of, they got a double whammy. They were discriminated against not just as dark-skinned people, but as um, people who were viewed as, as stupid or ignorant. And... It was a tough thing to overcome uh, for many of the players, and Minnie Mignoso, who was the Jackie Robinson of dark-skinned Latinos, first to break into the big leagues after Robinson, said, um, you know, I, I just, I had no choice but to just take it and smile, but uh, even though I was smiling on the outside, I was crying on the inside. Um, the event itself, the I don't, I, you know, explored the Latino and, and uh, African-American papers and did not see a great deal written about that, or I don't think it really necessarily affected relations between African Americans and Latinos. But it did, um, or there were attempts by Major League Baseball to correct things, um, though somewhat feeble until the 90s when they seemed to get serious about addressing issues of uh, race. But you know, Roseboro wanted to be a manager, but as an African American, uh, he was viewed as being, you know, not having the intellectual capabilities. Um, it wasn't until '75, of course, that Frank Robinson was the first African American hired to manage in the big leagues. But that was still a tough barrier to overcome. And um, Roseboro managed in the Dominican, ironically uh, or coincidentally, um, in uh, Marshall's uh, country. But he never had the chance to manage in the big leagues, even though many insiders said that he would have been a great manager given his smarts.
0: Beyond the personal and racial issues, what was the impact of this incident in terms of baseball itself and how it would continue to look at these kinds of incidents, these kind of pushbacks?
1: I think, you know, the, the players condemned what had happened, um, but it didn't change the code, you know, of an eye for an eye or a brushback for a brushback, pitch, an inside pitch for an inside pitch. The um, That persisted through the 60s, and players were out to protect their own and, you know, send messages that it's not okay to go after our guys. Um, but certainly it was never uh, uh, acceptable in baseball's code to wield a bat against another player. So uh, that was, you know, why they even uh, Marshall's own teammates, while they understood he was provoked, you know, nobody on the Giants would say that was okay what he did.
0: From your sense of it, and you're researching this, how is this incident with respect to people that care about baseball, people that look at baseball, how is this incident perceived in hindsight?
1: Well, when people just know part of the story, uh, when they don't know how the two men reconciled, they tend to still cast Marshall as the victim, sorry, Marshall as the villain and Roseboro as the victim. But when people know the complete story and understand how these two men made that an occasion of forgiveness and reconciliation. I think then they soften to each of these men and um, realize that here are two guys who did something in the heat of the moment, you know, as young men that they forever regretted. But instead of being stuck there in uh, forever enmeshed in that uh, mutual enmity, they we're able to transcend that and become friends and uh, offer a model of redemption for the rest of us. And, and, you know, when I look at it in those terms, I think, um, wow, I'm inspired by that. That's, that's very uh, noble and noteworthy for these two men.
0: John Rosengren, the book is The Fight of Their Lives, How Juan Marichal and John Roseboro Turned Baseball's Ugliest Brawl Into a Story of Forgiveness and Redemption. John, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Well, you're welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate your interest in the book.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.